Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie, mum to nine-year-old daughter Amelia who was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder. Welcome to my first episode of The Spectrum Reality. In this episode, I will talk about diagnosis and what comes next, what led us to get Amelia diagnosed, the assessment process of diagnosis, my fears and anxieties, and what happened after Amelia was diagnosed. I hope this podcast will be a platform for not only sharing my journey, but to help others who may be going through the same journey. So let's get started. To start this episode, I feel I need to start at the beginning. Amelia was a healthy 10 pound 7 baby. Yes, you heard it right, 10 pound 7. She was our second child, and although it wasn't planned, it took a while for us to fall pregnant with Amelia. Five years to be exact. We were confronted with a term called second infertility, something I didn't even know existed, but apparently is quite common. After many years of trying, we finally were blessed with Amelia. Her big sister, Bianca, was so excited the day we told her she was going to have a little sister. Although I was a little older the second time around, everything was on track. It was a healthy pregnancy, no complications, a standard labor and natural delivery, and a healthy baby. Everything was normal in the first three to six months. Amelia had no problems feeding or sleeping. She smiled and responded to her name, whereas not responding to the name is a common sign of autism. She was sitting up on her own and was able to start eating solids after five months. Statistically, signs of early autism begin to appear between the ages of one and two. But when I look back now, there were definitely early signs of autism from six months onwards. Even though we had already had a typically neurologically developed child, I didn't identify any of these signs linking Amelia to autism. One of these early signs I mentioned before was her repetitive movements, particularly of her hands and feet. She would constantly be flapping her hands and rocking her body and twirling her feet. I noticed this right from the beginning. I now know this was a sign of stimming. Another sign was her sensitivities. She was a very sensitive baby. Certain smells, tastes, sounds, types of textures and lights would lead her to become uncontrollably upset. This made life very difficult in all sorts of situations. One in particular was if I ever had to change her nappy in a public change room, she would scream the house down until we had finished and walked out of the room. I came to realize it was maybe the type of smells that were in the change room or the lighting that bothered her. It was hard to try and identify what was really making her upset. Amelia would also get really upset if anyone other than me or her father would try to hold her or talk to her, and even try to cuddle her. She would try and squirm her way out of them and run away and hide. And even eye contact was very difficult for her. She wouldn't generally want to look at anybody or have them look at her. After six months, the early signs became more evident. She had an affinity with spinning, and if she could, she would spin all day long. We had a toy that was very similar to a baby walker, but instead of walking, the seat harness would spin. 
Amelia was obsessed with this toy and would spin endlessly as fast as she could without getting dizzy or sick. She was at her happiest when she was spinning. I now know that this type of behaviour is also a need for stimulation, which is a part of her sensory issues. Amelia also became very unsettled in her behaviour and this became more noticeable as the time went on when she was starting to get around about two years old. Her sensory issues and sensitivities increased. This also made certain situations very difficult, especially when we were trying to visit people. There were times when I remember visiting my mother and Amelia was, as I said, probably around two years old. As soon as we entered my mother's house, she began crying uncontrollably and couldn't stop no matter what I did. It wasn't until we left and was back in the car that she would calm down. This was ongoing for a long time. This made social outings very difficult not only trying to visit my family members, but going other places where there were lots of people, places like shopping centres or anywhere there was lots of noise and lights. This became very overwhelming for her, but also for us. And in most cases, we would just have to leave. Another part of Amelia's unsettled behaviour was her signs of anxiety. She showed extreme separation anxiety, particularly with me. It wasn't until later, after diagnosis, that we were informed by a psychologist that this anxiety was a result of Amelia seeing me as her safety net. And if that net was threatened or broken, she would have anxiety and emotional meltdowns. It would generate a fear that she couldn't really understand or control. As a result of this separation anxiety, it meant that we couldn't have anyone come over and babysit for us or even send her to childcare. Another part of this anxiety was her fear for the unknown and the unexpected. She hated surprises and in particular, if there was types of toys that made sounds or jump or move or talk, this was part of that unknown or the unexpected. All these types of toys would scare her to the point of crying and running away from them. I had to put these toys in a cupboard and hide them away from her because if she even saw them, she would start to cry and be very scared. Then came the important time in a child's life of achieving those developmental milestones that all parents with a new baby think about and talk about. Amelia's developmental delays began to show significantly, which is also a big part of ASD. Amelia didn't start walking until she was nearly two years old. Grasping objects were difficult for her, objects like food, and toys and even holding her bottle by herself was difficult. She wasn't a curious baby either. Like most babies at a certain age, they would put anything and everything in her mouth. Amelia just wasn't interested. And of course, trying new foods became almost impossible. Her delays were almost across the board in almost every milestone. Chewing or sucking from a straw was very difficult. Feeding herself became a struggle. Even at the age of two, she needed help with most items of food, especially if she was trying to use cutlery. Certain textures in her mouth would even be uncomfortable. 
And this carried over into having emotional reactions if she felt certain textures that she didn't like on her hands and feet. Textures like paint and Play-Doh was a big no-no. As we were getting closer to the age of three, her sensory issues and her fidgets and fixations continued to grow. They became almost habitual. One of her sensory issues was her attachment to socks. She needed to have socks on her feet at all times, day and night, when she was at home. And even if she was at someone's house or at a park, shoes and socks needed to stay on her feet. The funny thing about this particular fixation is after talking to other parents who have children on the spectrum, most of them said to me that their child was the complete opposite and it was difficult for them to keep any kind of socks and shoes on their feet for any period of time. I guess that's why it's called the spectrum because they're all so wonderfully different. Her attachment to socks continues to this day. Even if it's 30 degrees outside, she still needs to have socks on her feet. Over time, she has improved with associating not wearing socks with thongs or open-toed shoes, and she does take them off if we go swimming or we are at the beach. I used to worry about this type of issue, but now it's really not a problem. If she's happy and it makes her feel comfortable, then I'm happy. There's a saying that I say to myself often, which is don't sweat the small stuff. In saying that, there were certain behaviours that I did worry about and are quite common with children on the spectrum. There were times Amelia would try and hit the back of her head on the floor or the bed and even on the change table. This was very scary to watch and it was almost like we had to watch her around the clock to prevent her from doing this. And it wouldn't just be at times if she was upset or anxious, it was random. All of a sudden, she would just start trying to hit her head. Thank goodness, as she grew older, this behavior became less and less. But there still are times, even now, that she's nine years old, when I will catch her in her room and she will be banging the back of her head on her mattress on her bed. The interesting thing is, it's just like spinning for her. She doesn't seem to feel sick or get a headache from it. She finds it funny. The next part I'm going to talk about routines and transitions. Routines for ASD kids are very important and vital for them. And any change in Amelia's routine, even when she was a baby to now, affected her greatly. Her routine started from the time she woke up in the morning to nighttime. This routine needed to be the same every day. This included her food routines from when she needed to have her breakfast and her lunch and her snacks to her dressing routines, her playtime routines. And if there was something out of the ordinary on that day in particular, like an appointment to the doctors or having to go to the shops, I would need to give Amelia lots of warning that that was going to happen. Not only was it the times that we needed to have breakfast ready or lunch ready or dinner ready, but it was the type of foods as well. They needed to be the same. So breakfast was always the same. Her snacks were always the same. Lunch was always the same. Dinner, you could kind of mix up a little bit, but generally it needed to be the same types of dishes. You couldn't really try anything new. Her diet was very limited and if we did try something new, this would mean that there was a change in her routine. 
it would take Amelia a long time to transition and accept this change into the routine. These changes to her routine could include things like starting a new play group or changing times to regular appointments, meeting new people she's not familiar with, moving from using a sipper cup to a normal regular cup, or even just cutting her sandwich in a different way. For the new routine to take effect, I needed to be consistent, but at the same time, try and not make it a negative experience, which was a very tricky process to achieve. And sometimes she would be so against these new changes that we would have to stop and give it a break and maybe try again later down the track. Like all children, they can be stubborn. But with ASD children, they don't know how to compromise or come to an agreement to try something new. Transitions and changes in routine were very difficult and took a long time and a lot of consistency. As this was happening, I knew something was wrong and I really, truly felt scared. The big red flag for me was when Amelia was three years old and nonverbal. She could say a few words but they were barely audible. And if she tried to communicate her wants and needs, she would simply scream. And it was hard to see that frustration on her face when she was trying to get my attention, but just couldn't. It was hard to come to terms with in the beginning. Nobody wants their child to struggle or see them struggle throughout life. Autism was becoming more spoken about in a good way at the time, but there were still many stigmas surrounding ASD. Stigmas such as your child will not have a fulfilling life or a normal life. And it almost felt like there was no hope. I also didn't want my child to be labelled and put in a box to be only seen as an autistic person. I wanted her to be seen as just a person like everyone else. I remember feeling a sense of helplessness, sadness and frustration that I couldn't help my child or even understand her. And it didn't help that people would stare at her if she was stimming and making noises in public or having an emotional meltdown. I was aware of autism, but it was hard for me to see that this was what was happening to Amelia. Life felt very much like walking on eggshells. You just didn't know what was going to happen next. It affected all of us. It became a very stressful household and at times it caused problems within my marriage. But Peter and I knew that we had to do this together. And there were still times where Amelia was just like every other child and I would say to myself, there's nothing wrong, she's fine, she's just a little bit delayed. But deep down I knew she needed help. I had to take a step back and say to myself, it's not about me or how I feel. It's about Amelia and what she needs. The first step I took was taking Amelia to a speech therapist who immediately identified Amelia's autistic qualities. Straight away, she recommended us to have Amelia assessed. And there the diagnosis journey began. Living in Queensland, the process of diagnosis could only be done by a paediatrician or a psychiatrist. The speech therapist recommended a psychiatrist who would give Amelia a thorough assessment and be able to help and support her after diagnosis. The journey took about a year to get the final diagnosis, mostly because of the wait time to just get a referral and then the wait time to book an appointment. 
The first appointment we had was with just Peter and myself. And I have to say, I really liked the fact that we got to go in there and talk about it and actually get a psychiatrist point of view, which started to make the process not as scary as I thought it was going to be and make it a little bit more positive and hopeful for the future. We then had our next appointment, which was with Amelia, which was quite difficult seeing how Amelia was nonverbal and really couldn't talk about how she was feeling. It was more just a way of the psychiatrist gauging where she was at in her development. The psychiatrist then began her assessment process and instantly diagnosed Amelia with autism level two. As I said, I was initially scared, but after the diagnosis happened, it wasn't a feeling of sadness. It felt as if a weight had lifted off all of our shoulders. And I think it was because we began to understand autism. Also, the message that was given to us was not a grim one. It was a positive one. And it told us in many ways that she was going to be okay. One very distinct piece of advice that was given to me by her psychologist was it wasn't Amelia who had to change herself to be accepted by the world. It was the world that had to change to accept her. After the diagnosis, the world opened its door to this amazing, overwhelming and positive support network. It reassured me that I was not alone. There were many organisations that began to reach out to us. Organisations like Autism Queensland, Yellow Ladybugs and AEIOU. They were all so supportive and informative. They provided us with so much help and information about ASD. This helped us to understand Amelia further. And once we took that step, life began to become easier and happier for her and for us. The diagnosis road was not an easy one. There were many tears, worries and anxieties that came with it, but it was a relief and the journey was just beginning. One term was said to us many times, early intervention, the sooner the better and they were right. Thank you for listening and sharing this journey with me. Please join me in my next episode as I delve into the world of early intervention and the wonderful organization called AEIOU. See you next time.